The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. When you need to know what's going on in the UK, David Curtin has his finger on the pulse. Today's News Talk, TNT. Hello and welcome to the David Curtin Show with me, David Curtin. Um, It's lovely to see you again. Thank you so much for joining me on my second day at today's News Talk, TNT. Now, we live in a world of abundance, which is fantastic. We have an abundance of coal, oil and gas to provide us with energy. We have an abundance of water. We have an abundance of food. But despite this, we have overlords that are trying to create and fabricate scarcity. And they are probably doing that because I would say that they are psychopathic and they want to create scarcity in order to control us and in order to change society so that we don't have the freedom which we would have if we could enjoy the abundance that we do have and can uh, make use of. The way that they have done this for many, many years, if not decades, is to push the narrative of climate alarmism. And what that means is that they are telling us that carbon dioxide is a harmful gas and therefore we need to reduce emissions of carbon dioxide and reduce any activity in any area which produces carbon dioxide gas. Now, as a chemistry graduate with a first class degree in chemistry from St. Andrews University, the same university as attended by the illustrious Prince William and Kate Middleton, no less, although I didn't know them because I was there 10 years before them. But with a chemistry degree, I can assure you that carbon dioxide is not a harmful gas. We all breathe it out all day, every day as we respire. Carbon dioxide levels have been less than they are now at some points in history, and they've been more than they are now at other points in history. But carbon dioxide levels could increase about tenfold and they would have no harmful effect whatsoever on living organisms or the globe and the planet as Carl climate alarmists would tell us that it would do. What this means is they are then causing politicians and people in power to introduce regulations, climate regulations and climate laws. In the UK, we have the Climate Change Act 2008, which says that we have to aim towards net zero, first when it was written by 2050, but that was changed under Theresa May's administration so that it would be coming in earlier. So they are now hell-bent on pursuing this policy of net zero, where we are not allowed to emit any carbon dioxide or only a very little bit, which would then be offset by things like planting trees or uh, creating wind turbines and uh, wind farms, whether they are onshore or offshore or solar panels and so on. Now, the thing with this is that wind turbines don't produce any electricity when the wind stops blowing and they need 
100% backup uh, to be readily available all the time by continuous reliable forms of energy, such as oil, coal, gas, and nuclear, which have to be the mainstays, mainstays of our energy infrastructure and production uh, facilities. Solar panels also don't produce very much energy at all when the sun stops shining. So they simply cannot make up for the destruction of our normal traditional energy infrastructure. But this has been taken a step further recently with the war on farmers, because the powers that be that are beholden to the climate alarmist narrative don't just want to end carbon emissions in transport, even though that is completely impossible, and energy production, they also have their eyes set on agriculture, because that has been earmarked as the next area of society, the next industry, the whole agricultural industry, is the area that they now want to target to reduce emissions of carbon dioxide and also nitrogen gases as well. And we've seen the terrible policies being implemented first in the Netherlands, then in Ireland, where the government wants to kill and cull 200,000 cattle, uh, in France, in Germany, where they want to reduce subsidies for farmers' fuel, and now in the UK, where environmental and climate regulations are decimating the farming industry. But the people are pushing back. I could say so much more about what's happening with the farmers' protests and the war on farms. But the powers that be are not going to win this battle. We need to support our farmers and what they're doing. And we also need to stop voting for parties in our elections which are pursuing this climate agenda. And if we do that, we can push back and we can win this battle and we can return to the world of abundance, which is ours by right. Thank you. This is today's talk news today's news talk tnt getting straight to the facts enough with the lies we need facts this is today's news talk radio tnt welcome back everybody and i'm delighted to have with us again Gemma cooper who is going to talk about uh the breaking stories what's in the news today um Gemma, what have you found that is going on uh, in the world today well, it's a story in the UK that's much like the farming story that you just outlined uh, so wonderfully there, David, in your editorial. Now, that's a story that really isn't going away. And another story that's not going away on, on the UK's agenda, political agenda, and, and on the social agenda, and around the world is immigration. Um, and the government here in the UK today has launched an, a really tough package of new measures. These laws haven't been updated since 2014. So it's 10 years since they've had a look at these laws. But they're going to um, really clamp down on UK firms and businesses that are um, employing illegal migrants. And they're also going to clamp down on landlords and the figures, the landlords who um, allow migrants to live in their properties or rent their properties. Um, so if you ha hire an illegal worker um, who's come in by nefarious means, this is all designed really to, to stop the boats across the channel, which we talked about very briefly yesterday when we were talking about the state of the British Army. But if you hire an illegal immigrant, you could get a fine of £45,000 
per worker per employee for a first breach. Um, that's up from £15,000. So a £30,000 jump there if you're employing an illegal immigrant. And repeat breaches of this law will cost you £60,000. That's up from £20,000. So the, the, the fines really have become quite significant for those employing illegal workers. Uh, for landlords, if you are allowing a, a illegal migrant to live in your property, it will be um, £5,000 uh, per lodger, and that's up from £80. It was £80 if you were caught housing an illegal migrant, and now it's going up to £5,000. So the, the, the government is determined to kind of clamp down on this issue because we have a general election coming and it doesn't it does really know that public opinion which may have been fairly liberal in some quarters on immigration a while ago is shifting when people realize the staggering amounts of money that it costs to deal with the immigration crisis this this is all to get rid of the so-called pull factor of uh, people seeing the UK as this amazing place. You can come over, you can get a job, you can find somewhere to live. And it is ostensibly to stop the channel crossings, people coming here illegally. This doesn't apply to legal migrants who've had asylum granted or, or their migration status officially sealed. This is illegal migration. And uh, the, uh, the the minister, the minister tasked with, uh, with um, uh, tackling, he's Michael Tomlinson, Minister for um, Confronting Illegal Migration, says we want to get rid of the business model of people smuggling. And it is a business model um, because they often make these very, very big promises to people of bringing them over at high cost to them and they will get a job and they will get a house. He says we want to smash that business model. We want to make it very difficult for the smuggling gangs to entice people over because landlords won't want to risk these huge fines and nor will employers because the cheap any cheap labour costs you may have by employing an illegal migrant will be offset if you get caught. They're quite huge figures compared to what they were. So they've had a look at this law. It comes into force from today. From today, these figures will apply if you are caught uh, employing or housing an illegal migrant. Whether it works or not, this is the question. Um, you know, we, we have a quite a sophisticated culture, as I'm sure you know, in this country now of like people smuggling and then gangs looking after um, migrants and they come over, they already know people. Um, so it's difficult necessarily to find people, but the government has decided enough's enough. Uh, it, it wants to listen to its electorate. It wants to win the next general election. So these new fines have come into force today. Thank you, Gemma. I, I'm listening to that, but I can't help feeling a little bit cynical about all of this because this is a party that's been in power essentially for 14 years and they haven't done anything about stopping mass migration in all that time. They've got an election coming up in a few months, maybe even just three or four months away. We don't know. It could be as soon as that. Um, this isn't going to have any time to bed in. Um, and also, the thing is, this is aimed at the illegal migrants coming across the channel in boats. But now, a far, far bigger problem and a far, far bigger driver of migration is legal migration. So that is up to net 745,000 a year now, um, compared to the people coming across the channel in illegal boats, which is big. It's a big number, but that's less than 50,000. It's still 50,000 too many. But the bigger problem in terms of um, uh, resources, you know, the, the um, competition for scarce resources in terms of housing, in terms of GP surgeries, in terms of hospital places and school places, comes from legal migration. And this government has put into place all kinds of schemes to increase that. So, I mean, does this, 
am I being right here to be a little bit cynical about this? And um, what do you think, Gemma? Cynical about the government, about those in power? <laughs> cynical, David? No, surely not. Um, I think what this is, is PR, because, of course, the, the channel crossings and the illegal migrants coming in on the boats, it's a very visual topic. Um, there's a lot of imagery of the boats coming in. There's a lot of imagery of people being taken off the boats. And, you know, it's, it's quite an easy target in terms of, like, government electoral spin ahead of an election, which you quite rightly say could be in the next few months, we could be seeing that. Uh, and it might, they think, possibly capture hearts and minds of the voters because it's kind of easy to illustrate. Um, legal migration is harder to illustrate because They've, they've already had asylum granted or migration granted. They've got a job, they're paying taxes. And then, you know, you don't want to wind, you don't want to demonize an entire uh, group of people because some sectors of our economy do rely still on 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 migrant working. We're talking about the NHS just yesterday about the amount of figures there for non non British workers now keeping the propping the NHS up. Whether that's right or wrong is not the really the the, the argument there. It's a fact. That's just how uh, a lot of jobs are staffed. The care sector as well. Um, so this one they they kind of can go after and say yeah we're really going to clamp down. I do wonder about the culture of you know when, once people get into this country illegally there's a big network of support and underground network of support and I think it's quite hard to find people once they're in um, and, and then you've got to take it to the court you've got to prove that somebody was employing someone or you've got to prove somebody was housing someone you need to gather evidence you need to present your case to the judge you know it's a, it's a long-winded convoluted process but it makes headlines it makes headlines and and that's what governments love isn't it that's what political parties love they love to be in the headlines they love to look like they're doing something don't they they love to look as though they're busy um i wonder if it is all pr ahead of an election i wonder if we wouldn't even be hearing any of this if we weren't looking at down the barrel of a general election in 2024 yeah, I think you've said it there. It's about PR, isn't it? It's about headlines. It's about image over substance. And this comes back to the other big announcement and big plan they had on immigration, which was the whole Rwanda scheme that they uh, introduced in the spring of 2022. It's nearly two years ago now. But in two years, not a single person has been on a deportation flight to Rwanda. Um, but they're still going on and talking about it as though, you know, this is their plan uh, to deal with immigration. So I wonder if this um, clamp down, as you say, starting today um, is actually just going to be the same thing. It's a lot of hot air. It's going to generate headlines. But how are they going to find employers? How are they going to find landlords that are actually housing illegal migrants when most of them actually are escorted to Dover, they're picked up by the Home Office, and then they're escorted to a hotel or a, a barge off the coast of Dorset or whatever other place that they're put up in. And uh, there aren't going to be really that many people who are illegals coming across um, that are running into the black economy, if you like, um, and, and disappearing that the government is actually going to be able to find in order to use these new regulations in order to um, <laughs> fight immigration in this particular way. So that's my take on it. I mean, it's it's an interesting um, piece. Um, it's an interesting thing that the government is doing. But I am, I'm, I'm, I am rather cynical about this because I've seen their record over the last 14 years. <laughs> anyway, yeah, thank I, you I, so much, Gemma. Yeah. No problem. I'm sure you're not the only one with a degree of cynicism and an eyebrow raised here, but uh, it's happening today. It's been brought in. It's breaking news as we speak. And I'm sure immigration will be a topic that you and I return to again and again here on TNT.
Indeed, I'm sure we will. Thank you so much, Gemma. This is today's News Talk TNT. TNT's Pella Neuroth-Taylor. We, we need to look, do a lot of recon, deconstruction of these phrases and, and really think about what it means, because what does far right mean? I, I'd say that far right means anything that you don't like. And um, it's just a label, a bit like the, the Chinese under Mao, their state press used to call uh, anyone who was an ideological opponent, capitalist pig dogs, whatever. And it was just meant to evoke a response. And it was a signal from the rulers to the rule that this is what you should think without actually having to think. It's 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 a, meant to evoke a sort of Pavlovian reaction that you're a, these are bad guys. And uh, a moderate, in, in, in our lingo, I mean, let's say it's foreign coverage. The BBC will say the moderate blah, blah, blah party in the third world Meaning, well, the guys we approve of, and then the extremist is someone we don't approve of. Helen Neuroth Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. The Irish government is proposing a law known as the Hate Speech Bill that threatens free speech. This law could have dire consequences for our democracy. Next week, next month, next month, and then on to the next week. This law will have uncertain effects on artistic and musical expression. Please support us. It could stifle the activity of public campaigning on political and civil issues and also curtail speech relating to topics about religion, ethnicity, sex, and gender. You could even be jailed for possessing documents, cartoons or memes on your devices, even if you never read them or intended on sharing them. Mere possession could make you a criminal under this law. Help stop this law. Visit www.freespeechireland.ie forward slash take action to bin the hate speech bill. The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit... Heavy. The animals haven't eaten in a day, two days, they haven't drank anything, they're cold, they're dehydrated. As soon as we started our descent, everywhere I could see was mud. Just absolutely mud. So the country has been long for drought so long. It was like a tinderbox waiting to go up. Okay, very heavy. Each of us wants to be part of the solution. And we can be. Remember that there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into your unit and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... Okay. And around the world. For any animal in any disaster. So let's focus on that, right? Be part of the solution. One rescue at a time. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. The net zero con will leave millions of citizens dependent on state handouts. It isn't a theory. It's an agenda. There is no climate emergency. On air 24-7. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. I am David Curtin, and this is the David Curtin Show on today's News Talk, TNT. And I'm delighted to have with me my first guest today. This is Professor Angus Dalglish, um, who is a professor of oncology at St. George's, the University of London, and a consultant oncologist and famous for lots of groundbreaking work in HIV. Um, professor Dalglish, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. 
Yeah, it's wonderful to have you. And um, I guess what I would like to get your views on is all the things that have happened over the last um, three or four years, particularly concerning lockdowns and injections. But but you've been quite outspoken. Um, let's go going back to um, perhaps 2020 when lockdowns came in. Um, and I, I was horrified at what happened there and uh, how that was being imposed and the effects that it was having on people. And you were also quite outspoken about them. And well, how did you first come to the conclusion um, that they, the government line, the uh, line coming from the experts in the government was, was not the right one about lockdowns? Well, I was quite frankly amazed that they even thought about it and that they had been given the advice from SAGE and various other input uh, people to take that decision, I argued long and hard and had access to people who uh, went to the cabinet and SAGE, etc., and pointed out there's absolutely no justification at all for doing a, a lockdown when you haven't done quarantine. I mean, it, was, it basically showed that these people, the politicians and scientists, were basically illiterate. I mean, the, there's a big difference between a quarantine and a lockdown. They were wanting to impose a lockdown on, on us in the UK and everywhere else. Uh, it was only Sweden that had any, any sense at the head of it, um, when they hadn't even bothered quarantining China. We, we were locked down for three weeks before they realized that there were planes coming in from Wuhan every day. I mean, this is moronic is the only word I can uh, think of for that. And the other thing is we know lockdowns do not work for respiratory diseases. Highly infectious airborne respiratory disease, all it will do is delay the inevitable, but make it worse. It'll make it worse because when you're locked down, your immune system's being weakened. You're not getting the, the fresh air and the exercise and the, the mental toll. Everything is suppressive, which makes you sitting ducks when you do come out. And of course, we now know this was all done deliberately to justify the vaccine program, which mm. I believe should never, ever have been countenanced. I mean, I have made very, somebody has to carry the can for all this. And I mean, SAGE, when I looked up the people on SAGE, it was unbelievable how dreadful the, the uh, compliment of people advising SAGE. I mean, there was more um, computer modelers and scribblers than experienced doctors who have been used to respiratory waves before of, of flus and all sorts of things. You, you don't know what's going on. And I think Chris Whitty has to take the blame, him and Patrick Balance, for listening to what I would quite definitely say is that lunatic, Neil Ferguson. He's never got mm. a prediction wrong, right in his entire life. <laughs> Yet, for some reason, he uh, makes these ludicrous predictions and the government will listen to him. And I cannot believe that you'd listen to anybody so stupid. But there is a clue that he's just received an enormous further funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation which is what on earth is going, going on there. At any rate, Whitty has to carry the can. He was chief medical officer. He actually said some things which were quite sensible, uh, but they sort of disappeared. And therefore, he not, is not a leader. He's not the, the chief medical officer. He said sensible things like um, lockdowns probably don't work well for a respiratory vaccines, and they even entertained herd immunity. And they also said, 
and that the that there's no real justification for introducing a massive vaccine program unless the disease kills 30% of, uh, of the population or they're, they're all very young. At no time, uh, unless you over-exaggerated the propaganda from China and misinterpreted the data from Italy, which I think was heavily misinterpreted, it was fear. They were just basically putting fear, worst case scenario, that they panicked and went to lockdown. He should have said, no, we mustn't do it. We must do what Angus Tegnell did in Sweden and say, stand back. Basically, people just must look after themselves. And they never, they never did that. And of course, I, I um, went on the media and wrote in the, the mail, the telegraph, uh, all these uh, media outlets. And, you know, I can never understand why they didn't listen to me. I mean, uh, uh, Whitty's got a fraction of my experience and, and Valence. They're both more than 10 years younger. And it's been brought to my attention, something I've completely forgotten about. I'm probably the only person in the United Kingdom who's been a professor of immunology, a professor, uh, sorry, not professor of immunology, well, I've got that now, but I've been an NHS consultant, honorary in immunology, in a separate hospital. I did uh, six months as a uh, consultant in virology, and I've done five years general medicine as a consultant, and the whole time I've been an oncologist. And uh, now mm. my current position is oncology. Yeah. So I was the only person probably in the entire country who was actually officially recognized as a clinical virologist, immunologist, and had a major internal medicine background. And I knew yeah. that what they were doing was completely wrong. And yeah. I understand that I was dismissed as a maverick. And therefore, that means you don't listen to them. Surely you do listen to the mavericks when you don't know what to do and you're all yeah, hurtling absolutely. down the path, mm. which is clearly going to cause nothing but trouble. And one absolutely, of the, yeah. The, the I, I, sorry, sorry, Professor. Sorry, Professor Dalgleish. I, I've got, we've got to go to a little break um, for the news uh, just now, but you're absolutely right. They should have listened to you um, and yeah. me and other people who spoke out rather than these people who didn't have the experience and were just basing these predictions on wild mathematical mathematical modeling which was not real science anyway look so much more to talk to you about we'll come back after this short news break this is today's news talk tnt question what are you guys doing today the news now tnt radio news sounds good matt boyland here with a look at your tnt headlines U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris says she's ready to replace Joe Biden if necessary, as concerns grow over his ability to run the country. U.S. Defense Chief Lloyd Austin's been admitted into intensive care for the second time in as many months following his cancer surgery in December. SpaceX CEO Elon Musk has denied supplying his Starlink internet service to Russian troops, and Syria says it's ready to go to war with Israel over its occupation of Golan Heights. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio.
Welcome back. I'm David Curtin on The David Curtin Show. This is today's News Talk TNT, and I have with me Professor Angus Dalgleish, who spoke out at the beginning of the COVID period against lockdowns and has also been speaking out against what I call experimental injections. But some people still call vaccines, but that's a matter of your opinion and semantics. Now, Professor Dalgleish, you were just talking there about how um, we should never have locked down, and you said some very, very um, good things and good reasons why we shouldn't have done that. But I also seen you've uh, done some research into the connection between the injections that people have had and the incidence of cancer. Can you say a little bit more about that and, and what you found out about those things? Oh, yes. Well, I mean, what came to my attention was that I, I've been doing melanoma, uh, my clinics now, for over two and a half decades. And uh, I was the first to use immunotherapy for melanoma when there was, it was very uh, much frowned on. Indeed, I was told that immunotherapy only works in mice and will never work in humans. And look where we are now. It is the number one modality for several frontline cancers. And uh, I had these patients who have done very well, uh, have been stage four, some of them 15, well, 18 years ago. And then 10, I mean, they've done it unbelievably well. Stage four, and here they are. And we didn't have the checkpoint then. A lot of these were with innate immune boosters uh, going around BCG, then heat kill mycobacterium bacchae, which we've recently shown actually greatly improves the response to these checkpoint inhibitors like Pembro and Nivo, etc. So I was following these patients up with various things. Some of them uh, initially had relapses, and then they just stopped. And we kept them going with uh, a kind of booster uh, injections in some cases of this IMM-101, which is a heat-killed innate immune booster. It is not a specific vaccine. And then I found that some of these patients were relapsing after years, you know, and I was used to that because I've seen it before. And I immediately know that when you um, are in a bad, bad place for want of a better word, for it needs to be about three months, so you're depressed, you've been bereaved, you've unexpectedly divorced or run into financial problems or something. That's when I have seen people relapse after three months of that because we know that's associated with a further dampening of the immune suppression. In not one of these cases could I identify anything with one exception. They'd all had booster vaccines. Uh-huh. And then when I looked at the association with them, I said, I'm very suspicious of that. And I talked to other people and they were also seeing it. So I said, all booster vaccines must be banned for the, these cancer patients. I got carpeted by all sorts of people, the hospital, all college of physicians saying there's there is no evidence. Now, my job is like the canary in the coal mine is mm. to say, hey, something's going on. Stop it. You know, to hold up the, the red flag. Stop it. Nobody seemed to be interested. We were told to shut up that we were just seeing coincidence. How are they to know it was coincidence and to be quiet? And that I was depriving people at risk of their vital boosters to protect them. These, that's where my introductory period a bit is. It's mm. as far I should have been far, far more forceful because I had the experience of virology, immunology, etc. I knew that it, in some of our vaccine systems, 
if you have to have a booster, you've proven your vaccine's useless. And mm. that, is, that is a model. We've actually got a, a model where the more boosters you do, the worse the outcome. And I realized yeah. this is suddenly what I was watching with COVID. So how could this be justified? I'm a scientist, so I'm not prepared to put two and two together and assume it's cause, causative unless there's a good logical link. And as I was doing this, more and more uh, cases occurred. We got then finding it in my friends with colorectal cancer, renal cancer, lymphoma, leukemia. It was all occurring after wow. usually unnecessary, useless boosters given and taken purely because the people wanted to travel after being locked down for two or three years. Yeah. And they were told by the stupid authorities that they couldn't travel unless they had a booster. I mean, basically, well, no it reason. to me on a, on a booked international thing. And I said, I'm not having a booster. I'm not silly. So they wouldn't let me travel. So I turned around and uh, said, you, you can't do this. And I found that it was totally legal. I'd sued the company uh, and uh, we sued them under the Disability Act. They had no mm -hmm. right to deny me passage because I hadn't had a booster for a vaccine that their doctor, chief medical officer, decided was important. So I refused to have it. So, so I know exactly yeah. what was going on. So what happens when you have the booster that didn't happen in the first two vaccines is that you induce, remember, you're primed to make even more of these antibodies because you've seen them once, twice before. And you make loads of these antibodies, but they're not against the virus. The virus has long since mutated. It's left the planet. And by making all those useless antibodies, you weaken the immune response. And so new viruses coming in, in your COVID variant, the antibodies latch onto them, but they don't kill them. They just make it easier for them to infect the cells called antibody dependent enhancement. And this yeah. is why uh, I first noticed this in the clinic, not in my patients, but in the staff, they were all going downhill after the boosters. I was telling them not to have the booth, because it's madness. And they were testing positive for COVID, what have you. So that immediately told me it is a perturbation of the immune system that must be affecting the loss of control over the, the melanomas. And then we find yeah. that there are people publishing that the T-cell response is suppressed, particularly in cancer patients, particularly in the third and fourth boosters. In fact, one of the papers that analyzed this really well called it T-cell exhaustion. I couldn't put it better myself. By boosting an immune response against something that doesn't exist, you are going to exhaust it. And being exhausted, it'll give up. And that's what I realized was going on with my cancer patients. And then we got two or three nice studies saying that it's even worse than T-cell exhaustion. You're actually causing an IgG antibody switch from neutralizing and control to tolerize it. So not only have you switched your T-cell off, but you've made all the antibodies enablers. <laughs> I mean, they're tolerizing. These are the antibodies you want if you have a transplant. And so it stops seeing the tumor as foreign and allows it to be ejected. I mean, I mean to, to flourish. Yeah. It's no longer under control. So well, look, that's it's, it's, the it's, it's, reason it's, for it. 
it seems, Professor Dalgleish, you're the only person that was actually doing any real science here. And it seems absolutely appalling that people in the hospitals that you were in the NHS and so on said that you didn't have any evidence when you were actually presenting evidence. And you've got evidence of uh, an increase in all kinds of cancers um, that mm. you saw that was related, mm. that correlated very strongly to these boosters. And also you had the theories that the actual medical biochemical theories behind this to actually justify um, mm. what you said. Um, so you've done some fantastic work there. And I think that people should have listened to that at the time. And, and what worries me here is that science is being debased because you're actually doing real science, but the people who are coming against you, it almost seems that uh, it's a cult-like mentality that says it, you must not question um, this almost religious um, dogma that they have about the, the injections. But look, Professor Dalish, well, I could talk to you for ages on this. Um, it's you, You've got so much to say. Unfortunately, I've run out of time uh, for today's show, but I hope you can come back on and uh, we can talk more about this. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. And, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Great. Thank you. This is today's News Talk TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. One of the more amazing things I've seen recently took place last week at a Senate hearing looking into social media and the negative effects it has on our children. Here's Senator Josh Howley confronting Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. 37% of teenage girls between 13 and 15 were exposed to unwanted nudity in a week on Instagram. You knew about it. Who did you fire? Senator, this is why we're building all Who these did you fire? Tools. Senator, that's, I don't think that that's... Who did you fire? Uh, I'm not going to answer that. Because um, <laughs> you this didn't is... fire anybody, right? You didn't take Senator, any significant I, I action. It's appropriate to talk about... It, it, like it's not appropriate. Decisions Do you know who's like sitting that. behind you? Holly then pointed out to Zuckerberg that in attendance were parents of children who have been harmed, or as he put it, are now gone. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? Zuckerberg getting up and apologizing, of course, too little, too late. But what we saw was virtually unprecedented. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. I'm Belinda, and this is Willard, and we were adopted in 2021. When we first met Todd, he was singing a song, and I was like, wow, look at this kid with the biggest smile, <laughs> and he has a big heart to match. The energy you give Todd, you get it back from Todd. Yes. Todd's a joy. Yes, Todd's is. really is a great joy. I love him. <laughs> you and you. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. You're with David Curtin on today's News Talk TNT. Hello, welcome back to the David Curtin Show. I'm David Curtin, your host with today's News Talk TNT. TNT, sorry. And I have with me today my second guest, Jeffrey Peel. Welcome, Jeffrey, to the show. It's great to be here, David, and congratulations. I, I watched the show yesterday. I've seen a bit of today's as well, and uh, you're doing a brilliant job. Such a pro. 
Oh, thank you. Well, this is a big step up for me because I'm I'm so used to being a guest and I'm so used now to speaking in political rallies and so on, obviously, with the Heritage Party and the conferences now. But I'm loving this. It's fantastic to be a host and to have my own show. So uh, great to have you on, Jeffrey. And uh, thanks for coming. Um, now, look, you, you are the writer for and the editor of The New Era, Um and that covers so many different topics. I think we would agree on almost everything. But you talk about free speech, you talk about democracy, you talk about geopolitics, you talk about climate alarmism, and so on. Um, but what what really is concerning me at the moment is how the West, um, the UK, but also other nations in the West, the US, of course, are, are militarizing at the moment. And this has been happening um, and accelerating over the last two years, you know, with the Ukraine situation and then the Middle East situation. Um, wh when we had the Ukraine situation start in 2022, we were told, you know, we were presented with a narrative that came from the government and the mainstream media that Putin had basically woken up one morning in February and decided to invade Ukraine. Um, I didn't believe that at all. I mean, what did you make of that? when that situation started back in February 2022? Oh, like you, I was absolutely astonished that, uh, you know, the, the, the West, the, the Western line, you know, seemed to be that we, uh, we had to meet Russian aggression even before any Russian aggression was shown. Uh, you know, the, there was loads and loads of news reports suggesting that, you know, the Russian military were, um, mustering on the on the border and uh that they were going to invade uh and they didn't and uh the bbc seemed very disappointed by this and you know so we got constant uh references to russian aggression which didn't didn't really appear and then suddenly it it did obviously uh but of course what was not mentioned was the fact that um you know we had a number of agreements about the administration of ukraine uh and the, you know there was a special relationship between ukraine and, and many of the independent republics and russia uh but of course in 2014 uh, there was a kind of uh, orchestrated coup overseen by the, the the united states and this was referred to obviously by putin in the tucker carlson in interview mm. um and and therefore there was a lot of back history as to uh you know people reneging on deals, particularly in terms of the self-administration of Eastern Ukraine. Um, and, you know, I was aware of this, you know, being being uh, a certain bit nerdy in terms of geopolitics, I suppose I was aware that uh, the Minsk agreements existed. And, um, and uh, you know, the, there was a lot of saber rattling coming from the, the West. And then, of course, when Russia did invade, the narrative became Putin all bad, West all good mm. uh, and Ukrainians all good and the rather the Ukrainian government all good, but of course Zelensky was a you know and is a, a puppet of the the West uh, the United States and um, and uh, you know has been funded and prov provided with uh, billions of dollars worth of military equipment in order to meet the the Russian threat and of course it has all been largely in vain. We we now. Are in a situation where half a million uh, Ukrainians have died as a result of this absolute folly, uh, and this war continues to be funded by um, by U.S. and U.K. and German, and Polish uh, funding. You know, so it, it's it's utterly absurd and and appalling, a grotesque 
uh, war, which, uh, like all wars, the, the ordinary people are suffering horrifically. Mm. And of course, the situation in, in the Middle East as well puts us in a situation where geopolitically, we are probably at the riskiest period we've ever been since the Cold War. Um, all of this could escalate. And there's an awful lot of saber rattling coming from the the Biden administration and frankly, from Boris Johnson, who was in power, obviously, when the Ukraine crisis kicked off, and and um, and now the uh, the Rishi Sunak administration here as well, and the cost of this is gargantuan. Uh, you know, it, they are literally piling um, uh, the amount of debt uh, in order to fund these these wars and interventions by the West. Now, I'm not suggesting that everything that Putin said in the Tucker Carlson interview was was correct. It was very much Putin's view of the world. Uh, and and uh, clearly, uh, he tries to give the impression that uh, Russia is wonderfully administered and, and uh, there's, uh, you know, he is a, a benevolent leader. And that's clearly not the case. But but still, you know, the the uh, the fact is that we went to war and, and funded aggression um, and funded the, uh, the Ukrainian army uh, really to send send it uh, for, for slaughter. Mm. Yeah, the, the interview between Tucker Carlson and President Putin was very, very interesting. Like you say, it, President Putin obviously has a very Russian understanding of events, you know, particularly the Second World War. And we have a Western understanding of events. You know, we, we see the Second World War and history uh, from different viewpoints, from different sides, if you like. But um, I think what, what he was, um, what was very interesting was that he was saying back in the 1990s, he had agreements, you know, he would try to be friendly to the West and join in with joint security um, initiatives. He even asked at one point if he could join NATO. Uh, he was yeah. promised that NATO wouldn't expand, but then NATO did expand again and again and again. He did nothing, but then Ukraine was a red line. Um, but the reaction to the interview was, was all quite, you know, it was... Uh, extraordinary from some people. It was like some people were so triggered, Boris Johnson in particular, talking about Tucker Carlson being a traitor and it was a ludicrous interview and uh, Ukraine's going to win. And that was his reaction. So even mm. with this all happening, you know, you've got people like Boris Johnson who seem to want to continue the hostilities, even though there's half a million Ukrainians have died, which which is, that that's the country. That has suffered the most. Um, yeah. I was just going to say, uh, of course, it's it's very easy to say all of that as well when you've no skin in the game. You know, there were a lot mm. of people who responded to to that by saying, "Well, you know, okay, take yourself over and and um, take up some weapons and go to the front line." It's very easy to say that uh, we are are you know defending Ukrainian interests by providing all of this, this military equipment and so on. But not actually putting any skin in the game, and uh, and that I think is what's required. It used to be that you know uh, po politi politicians and and leaders put themselves right at the at the front of the uh, the line when uh, we, they were engaging in wars. Those days are over, and um, mm. it's very easy to sit in the sidelines and and say that we'll support you, but do actually nothing about it. Well, they've tried to talk up a narrative that we need conscription because we're going to be going to war with Russia in the next few years. I mean, I, I see these narratives now and I just 
try to fight them immediately because that's apps that is what that is ludicrous that we should have conscription and we should be taking young british men to go and fight in ukraine for the zelensky regime but where we do um where we have actually acted you know militarily is in yemen and the uk and the us have now initiated airstrikes on yemen they've bombed the capital sanaa three times um how dangerous do you think this is going to be um, as, as we go forward? Yes, it it, it potentially is um, extraordinarily dangerous, and you know the 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 rationale for for these strikes is because apparently people's Amazon shipments were being uh, interrupted or or made lengthy, or you know all of the stuff that has to come from China obviously now has to take a longer journey in order to get to the United Kingdom. And uh, and that that is the key reason why these uh, these strikes have happened. Uh, you know, we're about to see uh, the next wave of uh, horrific levels of people dispossessed and seeking refuge from Gaza. And mm. and, you know, it, it, it's absolutely stupefying that we get involved in these conflicts without thinking through the consequences. We do not want under any circumstances to see conflagration of these crises engulfing all of the Middle East. You know, already we're in a situation where energy prices have gone through the roof. And by the way, you you, you get no reference at all in the mainstream media. About a year ago, they were saying, you know, that this was a crisis, the fact that uh, gas prices were going through the roof and there mm. was special intervention by the, by the government in terms of... Um, subventing the cost of you know pay, paying 600 quid or whatever that narrative is completely gone and yet we're still left with a situation where gas prices are still through the roof you know our own gas bill here for this house not a huge house was about 1300 pounds our last bill and wow. you know we blew up we blew up nord stream uh, the West, the Western forces blew up Nord Stream, uh, cutting off supply of, of Russian gas to to Germany in particular, causing an energy crisis in in, in Europe, and uh, and meanwhile uh, the Middle East crisis could uh, engulf Iran and uh, on, and Iraq and on, untold number of nations that are major energy producers. Saudi Arabia's involvement, Saudi Arabia's. Um, uh, growing detente with with China. Um, mm. How is this going to work out? It does. It does look like there is a kind of multipolar narrative being developed by leaders in, in a variety of nations, and we are kind of caught in the middle, uh, being led by buffoons like Boris Johnson, who think it's all mm. jolly hockey sticks to fund the Ukrainians de defending themselves against the Russians and ignoring a peace treaty that was negotiated, that was on the ground and was available to avoid this horrific conflict. You know, there are geopolitical consequences for all from all of these decisions, and they're being completely and utterly ignored by, uh, um, you know, politicians who are, you know, I, I, I thought it was brilliant. You know, I, I was listening to your interview uh, with uh, Professor Dalglish earlier, and he ma made the comment about um, that lunatic Neil Ferguson, you know, in terms yes, of the, yeah. the COVID response. But of course, we have had lunatics leading this country for, uh, since the la and and experts and advisors mm. uh, during the COVID area. But now, in terms of our geopolitical position, 
which doesn't serve British interests or consumer interests or the interests of our citizenry, and certainly wouldn't serve our interests to allow our young uh, men and women in the, in the armed forces to go and fight the Russians. It's absolutely stupefying. Yeah, we, well, we had lunatics in this country or people that have been very bad leaders for, I think, for the last 30 years, but it's just got worse. It's suddenly there's been a, a drop to a new um, level in the last four years with the COVID lockdown, Ukraine situation, Middle Eastern situation. But I think the West in general has really shot itself in the foot because by applying all these sanctions on Russia, um, what they've done is that they've shown that your money is not safe. You can't really trust the West um, to deposit your money. I mean, they've frozen but it's 300 billion pounds of Russian money, which is deposited in banks in, in uh, New York. So all the other countries around the world are looking at this and saying, well, at any time, for any reason, the West could just cut us off. They could cut us off from SWIFT payment system. They could cut us off from banking. They could increase our insurance policies, um, prices. They could um, uh, increase our energy prices at any time. So they're all getting together in the BRICS group of nations, which is really developing at the moment and coming along. And you mentioned there a multipolar world is emerging. Um, and, and I don't think that politicians in the West have, have even begun to consider the implications of this, because they just think that this is a fairy story. But this is actually Absolutely. happening. Russia, China, yeah. India, Saudi Arabia, Iran are all getting together. Um, and this is going to have a big impact, isn't it? It is indeed. And, and indeed, Putin mentioned this. You know, he made reference to, to the BRICS. He made reference to the, the relationship between uh, Russia and China uh, in particular. And this, this is extremely worrying because obviously uh, the intention here is for Russia and the BRIC nations to uh, divert attention away from the dollar as the reserve currency and focus it instead on uh, on the Chinese yuan or or indeed um, you know Russian gold reserves you know so and, and and meanwhile in the West the the leaders have literally lost control of money you know uh, debt in in the United States is now thirty four trillion dollars which was referenced by Putin you know he's more knowledge of of U.S. I would imagine if we if a reporter would ask Joe Biden what U.S. national debt is he wouldn't even know. You know, so they've completely lost control. And here in the United Kingdom, uh, we're we're approaching three trillion pounds of debt. And this, you know, and then we had a, an interview by Jerome Powell, the, the the Fed chair, a few days ago on CBS. I I'm such a nerd. I actually watched the interview, and the guy has no idea what to do. You know, clearly the United States has lost control of of its of its debt pile, and. And meanwhile, Russia is one of the fastest growing economies in the world. Uh, India, ditto, ch uh, you know, China has issues, obviously, in terms of uh, uh, debt management as well. But meanwhile, Russia is one of the fastest growing economies, faster growing than any of the G7 economies, uh, uh, has little to no debt, uh, vast gold reserves, and is quite happy to trade even in Bitcoin. And meanwhile... Yes. <laughs> People are buying Bitcoin, $50,000 Bitcoin traded at yesterday, um, mm. uh, which is the highest since late 2021. 
Amazing. Well, that, that's a whole other <laughs> discussion to have about Bitcoin and uh, whether people are going to get into that because people are looking for alternatives to the US dollar, which is a tragedy because, you know, for most of my life, it has been strong. It's been steady. It has been there's been no question that it would be here forever. But now you do question, is it going to collapse into hyperinflation? Um, as you say, there's 34 trillion is the US national debt. Three trillion is uh, pounds is the UK national debt. We're getting to 100% GDP to debt ratios. We're never ever going to be able to pay off our national debt um, if we carry on uh, in this way. But look, Jeffrey, it's been really great to talk to you. You are so knowledgeable about all of these things and um, great discussion on geopolitics. Very, very important discussion as well. I hope I can have you back on the show soon um, to talk some more. Thank you so much. It would for be a pleasure. Jeffrey. David, thank you very much indeed. Marvellous. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you also for joining me today on The David Curtin Show. I'm David Curtin. This is today's News Talk TNT.